0: How much of like the, like inner conflict was because of you thinking your life was going to be a certain way and then it turned out different? It's a great question. It is a good question. (laughs) The tricky part for
1: me is that two things. One, my dad died at age 38. So in my child brain, I was always, oh, 38 is the age of death. And I always, We've heard that so many times. Yeah, from really. Yeah, yeah, we just
0: heard that last week too. Yeah, from Bia. Mm-hmm. My dad yep. thinks the same thing. I think, yeah, that's like a a young death of a parent is like this.
1: Well, I don't know. So you know, I have a lot of compassion now for my younger self. But the last thing I ever said to my dad right before he died, and we were best friends, was "I hate you." Okay. So they're they're in where that mantra of, I am a bad person came from. Mm. So I walked around that my whole life. So I didn't think I deserved a future. So it's a tricky question because I could never visualize. I had no, I just saw nothing. It wasn't like I saw myself dead. I just saw nothing. I could never Mm. envision five years into the future. So it wasn't so much like life turned out different. I just thought I am a bad person and this is what I deserve, There's nothing wrong with waiting tables at all. I I miss it. But I was not creating any art during that time or doing anything else. And I was so depressed. I mean, the fact that I'm sitting here is a miracle, really.
0: Mm -hmm. And for, did you go through therapy after your dad or? No, I wish. I
1: mean, for like a minute. And then I was like, I'm okay. And my mom was like, okay. And she didn't know any better. She was
0: 34, you know? So I never stuck with it. And what was her healing process like? Like, how did you guys interact during that?
1: Really hard and terrible and complicated. And I blamed my mom's, so my dad and I were best friends. And my mom, in my brain, it was like my dad and I and my mom and my sister. So when he died, I resented her. And I felt like I had been left with the enemy. And I wish that she had been able to save him and complicated, you know, and to make, things more complicated. They were right about to get a divorce and he died. So that's another level of confusion because yeah, they were, they wouldn't have stayed together.
0: Wow. What
1: did um, depression look like for you? And really bad anxiety, but uh, depression is this flatness. So I don't... It's so hard to describe, you know. One of the things I know, and I've been going through it recently, I don't know if it's hormonal, but I don't want to get out of bed. It sounds like a cliche, but it, it that's my thing, which is harder to pull up when you have a toddler. Um, this flatness. Like, even smiling feels like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And it's like I feel nothing, nothing. Just like a nothingness. I notice I don't brush my teeth. Like, the whole day I pass, I'm like, oh, I'm going to brush my teeth. It's... um. It feels like a deadness inside. It doesn't, I can't say it feels like sadness, especially because I'm on antidepressants. It's like, it's not even like I cry. I have a hard time crying. Mm. Anxiety is more debilitating for me, way more debilitating. And that feels like panic. Like, um, I can't focus. I, I pace. When I was younger, I used to pick my face really bad. Mm. I actually did it recently and posted it on Instagram and all these people message me like, I'm a picker too. But um, yeah, and they, they go
0: hand in hand for me, but the anxiety is worse. What helps the anxiety and people in your life that you're closest to love, like how How have you been able to communicate with them? Mm -hmm. What helps you?
1: Well, I'm really good at that because it's what I do for a living with these workshops all about listening and Mm. on being human workshop. And also because it's what I teach people. So it's it's made me be like a more congruent person because this is what I teach and I'm good at communicating. But the problem is I don't always know what I need. You know, like, so when I'm in a spell and people go, "What, what do you need? What can I do? I have no idea, not a clue. Also, a way that is a pretty human of me, but that I mess up is examples. I always drink like seven pots of coffee. That exacerbates my anxiety. So I know when I don't do that, you know, so I've been, today I had one pot, one little French press <laughs> pot
0: <laughs> instead of
1: three. I I'm. I wish I was kidding. Yeah. Wow. I also wow. noticed I was having really bad anxiety. And this is a confession that I haven't said out loud yet. So I was taking Xanax. And I started taking it every night and I noticed the depression got so bad. Mm. So I started asking some of my friends, my sister, do you think Xanax is making me depressed? She said, absolutely. So I stopped taking it. I can't tell you how different I feel. So like maybe for a one-off, but I was, it was like every night. Okay. And so um, it helps when I don't self-medicate, exercise, I do the elliptical and I watch my shows and talking to people. I don't even necessarily mean like talking about like what's wrong, but just, just communicating. So I'm not all in my head.
0: Mm. It's almost like the, you know, the actions of the coffee and the anxiety are like the counter to the depression. Yeah. Where it's like the feeling nothing and then feeling too much, you know, with the anxiety. Like it's just, it's an interesting cycle that I know a lot of people go through and I know how you feel in a way. And it's funny when the, the, this, the seven pots of coffee thing too, like so weird. Cause you almost leave your body. You're like, yo, I know what the fuck I'm doing. And then you do it and you're like, oh damn. But sometimes I feel like it's almost like you just want to feel something.
1: Totally. You know,
0: people just want to have a feeling, mm-hmm. even if it's stress, because it's something to do. That's a good point. Though. Air quotes air quotes, something to do because our brains love something Mm -hmm. to do. They love finding a task to engage in. So I think that's, you know, really interesting that you were saying that you you, do that. You
1: said a really good thing just Mm -hmm. now, which is you're leaving your body. So I I lead these workshops with this author who did the four called Lydia Yuknovich, named Lydia Yuknovich, and it's called Writing in the Body. It's all about being in your body because my whole life i spent trying to not be in my body, and so essentially drinking all the coffee or the Xanax or whatever it is is a way to not be in the body.
0: Hundred, mm-hmm. and
1: that, and it's the harder choice is to stay, stay in your body, stay here right now. The easier thing is to find ways to try to float away. So yeah, it was, you really hit the nail on the head. Absolutely leaving your body.
0: Yeah, and the. And I'm sure So the eating disorder happened after your dad's death. Yeah. And it didn't
1: happen until I was 17. I was going to, with my mom, she was getting a breast reduction. And I said, I want a breast reduction. I had huge boobs. And the doctor looked at me and said, just lose five pounds. And I, I, yeah, yeah. but I had never, I mean, that was not in my, in my consciousness. I was 17 and it was, I mean, it was that moment I lost five and then 10 and 20 and 25. I couldn't stop. I didn't get my period for four years four years, I looked like a little boy. I look sick. If people didn't say I look sick, I would like have a panic attack. It's so disturbing now when I think about it. So, but yeah, it was a way to, I found a way to control cliche and to deal with my grief and to feel like I could deal with life, which is not true.
0: Wow. And so the turning points in your life, like, so you have the eating disorder, you lose your father, you're, you're, serving in LA, you've dropped out of school. What was the the turning point moment where you had that connection to your soul where you're like, okay, let's turn this around? The truth? Yeah.
1: Oh, well, I had a nervous breakdown at the restaurant and I decided to go to therapy for the millionth time that I never stuck with. And the first thing he said to me was, you're depressed. You need antidepressants. And I thought he was an asshole because it was my first time meeting him. And I thought, You're going to just decide like that. And I talked to all my friends and I couldn't even get the words out. And they were like, yes, you should go on antidepressants. We've all thought that forever. Yeah. So it was the antidepressants. That is the truth. They saved my life. I saved my life, but they really did because they allowed me to sort of like crawl out of this hole to brush my teeth. And then all of a sudden I I had been doing a ton of yoga and I didn't want to be a yoga teacher, but I thought maybe it would be an escape route in the restaurant but I would not have had that even sense of possibility had I not gone on meds, had I not gone on meds. So it was that. And then it was when I started writing again and feeling connected with people. I started sharing my stuff online. It, things would go viral. And And that's dangerous too. You, you guys, I'm sure know how it is. That feeling of like, oh my God, people like me. Mm-hmm. They're reading what I wrote, but it saved me. So I started writing more. And then I started getting more confident with the workshops I was doing and, and the it,
0: Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.